0: Hey guys, and welcome to Good Goodversations, a collection of honest, deep-dive conversations with young voices in the theatre industry. I'm your host, Alexander Piheko, and I'm joined today by Eddie Gray. Eddie is an amazing musical theatre performer and has been part of a bunch of fan-favorite shows such as The Book of Mormon, Wicked, Tuck Everlasting, Spring Awakening, and the list goes on. He's originally from Australia and has both performed and directed shows there so throughout this conversation I felt like I learned so much about the Australian theatre scene which is not actually talked about very often. Now he moved to New York a year ago and is currently on tour with the Book of Mormon there so we had a really good conversation just comparing and contrasting the different theatre environments that he's been a part of as well as creating his own work, because Eddie also writes and directs, in addition to being a working actor. I have to say, he was so delightful to talk to, and this has to be one of my favorite conversations that I've had so far, so be sure to follow Eddie on Instagram, at Edward P. Gray, and subscribe to Good Versations for more episodes of this show. Here's my conversation with Eddie Gray you've done so many amazing things you were in the original australian cast of the book of mormon you've toured internationally with wicked and i believe you're about to go on tour again with the book of mormon but in america is that correct
1: that's right I, i'm on tour at the moment in the book of mormon oh yeah. are
0: you oh at the moment yeah. whereabouts are you now
1: we're in schenectady new york upstate new york upstate. upstate yeah
0: yeah oh that's amazing you enjoying it yeah
1: Oh, i love it it's so good i've you can probably hear I've got a bit of a cold um, but allergies. but otherwise, it is great.
0: <laughs> Why don't you just take us back to growing up in Australia, and I would love to know kind of what pieces of theatre blew your mind as a child.
1: Yeah, well, so I grew up in Sydney, mm-hmm. uh, and I started playing piano when I was, I think, four, maybe five. It was um, in my first year of, of primary school, and... Um, I just really enjoyed it, Um, whereas I didn't really like sports or anything like that. So I was sort of started music from a young age. But then the first – my grandmother took me to see Pirates of Penzance and a couple of um, Gilbert and Sullivan shows when I was a little kid. But I think I was almost too young to even remember them. I remember liking them but not really understanding it. And then when I was maybe 11, quite embarrassingly, I went to see Annie – um, and was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was a thing. So that kind of blew my mind in that way, that I just didn't even know that was a thing people could do um, for real, you know. Back in those days, um, which makes me sound so old, but it's it's kind of true because it's a stronger industry now, there was usually only ever one big musical on in Sydney at a time. I can't remember. I just remember looking forward to them for months and months beforehand, though. Um so excited to get to see them. I went on a school music tour, like a choir tour, to Europe and and the UK, and we saw The Lion King in London, and I was just like, oh my gosh, again, all over again. Um, yeah, so it's sort of been like a series of things when I was a kid that really opened my mind up to it, to musical theatre.
0: It's great to hear that Annie was your gateway drug. Um uh-huh, I feel uh-huh. like yeah, that that's a very interesting choice because I was never a theater kid. I um mm. I cannot full disclosure, I cannot sing or dance for shit. Like I'm I'm yeah. terrible. But I can only talk. Hopefully someone yeah. well. Um <laughs> but talk about theater enthusiastically. Yeah. Um yeah. but um so I think it's it's so interesting to learn about how performers got into that because yeah, it's yeah. Um, my growing up was completely different, mm. so I never actually my first like international show that I saw mm. was, um, and it's not even that big; it's like half a sixpence, which it's like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I saw it in London when I was twenty-two. Yeah. And that was my first kind of international one, and I didn't know what yes. Wicked is. I didn't know anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Up until obviously, That's I was fair. a yeah. I was a fan through the internet, but I never. Yes yeah so um so it's no way I,
1: I can somewhat relate when I after I finished high school I lived in Austria for a year I did an exchange program to Austria and admittedly the German speaking world has uh quote-unquote Broadway musicals American musicals there but still no one it was such a culture shock for me and I'm from Australia you know but most people didn't understand what it was that I enjoyed they hadn't really heard of them they'd kind of they're like oh the opera and you're like no it's not opera you know it's this and they hadn't really come across them a lot
0: so what was the first kind of theater job that sort of launched your musical theater career
1: um actually this is a funny one so i when i was so i'd seen annie and then a couple of years later i i, I was still in primary school when i saw annie and then i didn't really start singing till i got to high school which is in, in australia in America, what, it's what they will call middle school, but in Australia, it's just high school. Um, and you're, I think, you're 13, I want to say maybe 12. So I started actually singing around then. <clears throat> and I... <laughs> it's a funny story. My mum loves this story, but it's entirely true. I literally looked up in, like, the white pages, um, the opera company, because I heard, like, the kids are sometimes in operas at the opera house, in the senior opera house. So I looked them up. And I called them up and I just asked the person at the front desk, how do I be in an opera? Um, Because I was doing sort of more classical music stuff at my high school and I didn't know anything about musicals and that seemed like a different, there was no phone number listed just for musical theatre, but for opera I could find out. So I called up and and now I'm like, they were so nice, what the heck is going on here? But there's there's this 11-year-old boy being like, hi, how do I be in an opera? And eventually I found out, and then I auditioned, and I did a few operas for Opera Australia when I was 11, 12, and 13 over several seasons. I did a bunch of operas. Um, and that was kind of my first – I mean, that was my first professional job, obviously, as a as a singer. And then I – so all through high school, I was kind of thinking, do I want to do musical theatre or opera? Um, and even my decision to go to Austria for the year was partly because I thought I might want to do opera. But then the more I kind of learned about it, the less I – I still love opera, but it's not my, not my thing. I learned that more as I go, as I went on. So Um,
0: what attracted you to musical theater then as opposed to opera?
1: I think it was honestly, for me, it was just more fun. Um, I, I just enjoyed doing it so much more. Um, I didn't start dancing till till later, till I was like in high till I was in the end of high school, right before college. So I can't even say it was that I loved to dance or that I loved to act, because similarly, I didn't really start doing that properly until I was a bit older. Um, but I think it was just a combination of all those things really got me going, and also I loved that it was in English. Like that's something I there, there's this um, such a barrier, which is such a negative word, but it kind of is in my mind a negative thing because it means the stories of are removed and I mean with opera the music comes first but music theatre it's really the story and just the theatricality of it like honestly I enjoyed the kind of dancing and the big sets and the cool costumes and the lights and all that stuff that you get a lot more flashy versions of in musical theatre.
0: That's amazing. So talking about musical theatre and obviously Mm. being from Australia, so what is the Australian theatre scene like? And I'm asking that because I feel like traditionally, Mm. as we touched upon, in the Western Mm. world, kind of Broadway and West End are kind of Mm. considered to be the pinnacle of, you know, theatre and whatever, but other countries are doing such amazing work as well. So what was that like performing there?
1: I mean... Australia certainly has a, a much closer cultural tie traditionally to England than it does to, to America. Um, and so it was not a well-trod path, but certainly some people did it to go through our drama schools and do professional musicals in Australia. And then with the, the goal of going to the West End, you know, um, and purely just immigration-wise, it's a lot easier for Australia to move to the UK than it is to the US. So that's all to say that... Um, you know, obviously, like, it is the American musical, but in Australia, it didn't feel that way because we had a lot of impact from the UK mega-musicals like Phantom and Les Mis and all that kind of thing, and also the kind of opera tradition of Gilbert and Sullivan and whatnot. The theatre industry itself in Australia is is getting healthier and healthier. Like, it's a really... We have a lot of great productions, and um, now we have we have, like, let's call them imported musicals, like a lot of the ones I've done, Um, But then we also have original musicals, some of which are fantastic. And one big thing that Australia does, um, let's say, is working on, and I think all people in the arts would kind of agree with, um, is this sort of idea of a cultural cringe, where a lot of our artwork, especially musicals, which um, uh, there's something about a musical which is kind of like a little more um, on this, wears its heart on its sleeve kind of thing by its nature. And that doesn't sit very well with Australians often. So we kind of have to make fun of ourselves a lot of the time. So we have some wonderful homegrown Australian musicals, which um, I, I like to sort of, a lot of my American friends, are like, is that going to come to Broadway? I'm like, I, maybe, but I, I, I always want to encourage, like Australians to think about it more as like, that shouldn't be the goal. It shouldn't be the goal to have, maybe if you're a producer and like the, the bottom line matters, that should be a goal. But artistically, I think it's really important for us to have musicals that are great for Australia, and that's it. And hey, if they get picked up to go to the West End of Broadway, cool. But that shouldn't be the that shouldn't be the goal. We shouldn't start from that place when we create things. The other big difference is, of course, touring in Australia looks very different. You know, we only have five big cities um, that can sustain audiences of any size. So often, you'll do a show that um, will stay in one place for a number of months, but we don't have any one-week spots like. In yeah. Book of Mormon, when we're doing a lot of one-weekers. Like, we just don't have the population size to do a show like Book of Mormon in the town for a week. <laughs> you know, there's not enough people.
0: So how long would you yeah. stay – in Australia, yeah. you mentioned five big cities. So how long would you stay mm-hmm. in each spot?
1: Well, it really depends on the show. Book of Mormon was especially successful um, in the sense that it stayed in Melbourne for, like, a little over a year in one spot, which is basically unheard of. Um but when I did Wicked, for instance, it had been through once before, years years prior, admittedly, but I think we did Melbourne for six months, Sydney for five months, um, you know, Perth for three, Adelaide for two, Brisbane for two, I can't even quite remember, but that kind of a length. So oh, yeah, okay. so they're, they're long sit downs. So I've spent a lot of my um, years since graduating college, actually, like I've actually spent more time in Melbourne than I have in Sydney, even though like live in Sydney
0: so what was it like then touring because obviously you went on tour with wicked as well so what was the international tour aspect like
1: really interesting um we went to I mean we went to New Zealand which was um I mean New Zealand is fantastic but Auckland um Auckland is a beautiful city and like some some things about it are so different from Australia and a lot of things are quite similar you know um but I would I mean then we went to Manila um, and that was really interesting, I have to say, because, you know, the metro area of Manila has the same population as all of Australia. Um, and it is just a humongous, sprawling city. Um, and that was really fascinating because this Wicked sold very well there, but we were only there for a few months. And that, if you sort of, if you do the numbers about how many people live in Manila versus how many people saw Wicked compared to how many people live in Melbourne and saw Wicked, it's, like, the tiniest percentage of people. Um, So it's a really – I mean, and and some things about it were certainly challenging, I think, um, inherent sort of cultural differences, um, just, like, workplace things that – I mean, we had really great local promoters, and they were so lovely, but um, part of it is, like, you have to exist in your hotel room, and that's kind of it because you don't – I mean, the traffic is so bad you can literally not even leave the city. Um, so that was hard. That was hard in a sense that you're kind of somewhat, um, confined to an area, but I have to say, I loved it. And I mean, you have to be careful about drinking water, et etc., et cetera, et cetera. But like, I had so much fun. And I mean, the people were, I mean, we felt like rock stars, like they were so receptive to the show and incredibly kind and the most amazing fans. And I would go back there in a heartbeat, like they're so sweet.
0: And then, obviously, you moved to New York now, so what was yeah. was was that always your dream? What was your vision for the rest yes, of your career? Yes, I
1: love this. Well, huh. well, I have to say, when I was at, I went to a place called WAPA, which is the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, um, which is a really great college um, in Australia for musical theatre and acting. And the whole time I was there, I kind of remember saying to people, I really want to go to Berlin or Stuttgart and do musicals there, because I spoke German. Um, asterisks to kind of speak German. Um, and I was like, that'd be a really fun thing to do to live abroad for a little while. Um, again, and sort of do what I love. And then in my final year of, co- and I'd been to London a few times, and I always loved London and kind of thought the West End could be fantastic as well. But then my final year of college, I went to New York for the first time, and I was just like, oh, this is, this is it for me, you know. Um, I like had that total fall in love with the New York thing. And then I kind of put on the back burner for a few years. I, uh, you know, I was cast out of college in a couple of things. And there it's that funny thing where there's no, there's no incentive to leave, put it that way. Um, and then a few years later, I did, I got runners up in this music theater competition thing in Australia called the Rob Guest Endowment. And I, part of that prize money was to go to New York and study with people. And so I did that. You know, i had been a couple of times as a tourist, but that was the first time I went kind of being like, could I live here? So I met with an immigration lawyer and stuff. And funnily enough, that was the trip I met my now fiancé on. Um, Mm -hmm. So we kind of had this concurrent thing where we were dating long distance and he's American. um, And then I was back doing Wicked on tour and then we saw each other on my breaks on tour. And I'd been applying for my green card this whole time. And that was a big decision as well as anyone who who is familiar with that process would know um you know that's it takes a lot of effort and um it's you know an investment so that was something it took sort of years for me to do and then i ended up having to take longer to do it because i wanted a book of Mormon. so yeah i got to new york a little over a year ago today i had a fantastic year i really loved it did some did a great Lead role in a regional gig of uh, Jesse and Tucker the last thing that I've always wanted to do at a wonderful theatre. The theatre just won a Tony Award actually this year, um, the regional theatre the Tony Award, which is amazing. Theatre works, Silicon Valley, they're fantastic. I did that and then I did a development of a new Jerry Mitchell show and just like found my feet and lived in New York and it was great. And now I'm very happy to be back on Book of Mormon.
0: That sounds like the dream for I believe so many people and so many performers as well. So well done. That's amazing. Thank you. And actually That's one really of my nice. one of my questions was going to be what's sort of been your biggest sacrifice that you've had to do for your craft. Mm. So I assume it would be along these lines. Yeah, I think it is. I think
1: you yeah. know, it's something that you hear from a lot of people, but it certainly and I I you know, like to acknowledge a lot of people have like really tough jobs. I'm not saying ours is the toughest, Love blah, it. Blah, 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 blah. let's not go into that competition world, but one thing that is tough about our job is you do miss out on a lot of things. Um, You know. You really miss out on lots of friends' weddings and engagements and grandparents' birthdays and nieces and nephews' christenings and blah, 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 blah. That kind of thing you miss out on a lot of. Um, So that has been something that, you know, it kind of feels small, but then as as they accumulate all those things, I certainly have felt at times that I'm kind of like, I get to the family Christmas when I, you know, I can always go to family Christmas, generally speaking, but, and I haven't seen anyone for the whole year, my, my aunts and uncles and things. But my brothers and sisters have seen them, you know, throughout the year and I haven't been able to. So I really miss that. Um, I miss that sort of – and that's something that happens with with touring especially, but even when you're in one place, it still happens because you have work on the weekends when most people don't have work. Sure. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is sacrificing um, the, the closeness you can have with your family. Now, of course it's like, you know, it's families that always feels lovely when you get back together, but you do miss, you certainly feel like you miss out on something.
0: I I do. I really wanted to talk to you about education actually, because, and it's great that you brought it up as well, because, you know, you, you had a scholarship that, you know, took you to study in New York as you mentioned uh, before you actually moved there. So, so can you talk to me more about that experience and sort of learning from the greats?
1: Yeah. I mean, actually, my so that the one I mentioned earlier, Rob Guestendam, was a shorter one. And then I got a major fellowship through the Mike Walsh Foundation, and he's an Australian philanthropist kind of thing. Um, he owns one of the big theatres in Melbourne, maybe okay. two of them. I can't remember. Okay. Anyway,
0: yeah.
1: um, he's a lovely, lovely guy. And that was even better because that gave me, I mean, money to go there for three whole months to study. So that was pretty great. And people, I must say, people are very receptive. Um, to opening doors for you if, it, if it's like oh and I have this thing you know like a scholarship rather than just your own money it seems people have much more even though they don't know what the scholarship is they're just willing to kind of help you out there which is lovely um, so I really did get to work with I mean I mean my probably my favourite dare I say most amazing teacher I've ever come across was mm-hmm. Craig Carnelia, who is a well known composer as well in his own right and he's now stopped this class, but he, for I think literally decades, had this class, um, a song interpretation, acting, audition, whatever you want to call it, class. And it was, I mean, crazy. Like, everyone had been through his class. Like, I had famous people in my class, but it was like, the, I. it's like someone needs to write a musical about this class. It was so good. Just like it was kind of this old New York, it felt like a very old New York institution that like everyone just, um, and I was very lucky. I got to like in one of his last years of teaching it. And that was probably five years ago. Now I still think about things he says basically every day. So Um, what were
0: some of those less kind of the messages that you took from that class?
1: I mean, really it was, he's just so, he has a uncanny way of making you feel at ease um, and about being yourself. That is really the biggest thing about, I mean, he's too, he'd kind of, you'd finish the song so often, he'd be like, great, what are you doing? You know, and that's such a basic question, but it's so easy to, to actually forget. And often he'd just be like, cool, cool, play the fucking scene. You know, if you, yeah. if you start talking about, if you start waxing lyrical about this, something other, he's like, you know what, that doesn't. doesn't matter. Like let the writers intellectualize everything. Just play the scene.
0: But I feel like, you know, a lot of people and especially young people as well, as we mentioned, students or people who, who want to go in this industry, they have an idea of what being an actor is going to be like. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you wish people would know about what it's actually like to be a performer and be an actor?
1: Something that I wish, maybe people told me, but I didn't want to hear it. I think it's probably very true is that you graduate you know if you're lucky enough to even go to a a drama school with sort of credibility let's say um you graduate into a whole realm of people who have also been through drama schools with credibility, so you, you have this like license where you're like the new kid on the block for like six months let's say and then you kind of in the dearth of all the other actors um i think it takes time And you really, and I really struggle with this sometimes. I mean, any one of my friends can tell you this, but um, sometimes it just sucks. Like sometimes you get rejected for something you're so sure you're right for. And I mean, every other day I'm about to enroll in a separate university degree. I'm like half kidding. Because so often I'm like, I, you know, you have such little control over things you can do, especially when you're especially when you're acting and not writing, um, you you are waiting for other people to put you in things. So I feel like the thing is you have to really be committed to knowing that there's going to be time in between gigs where you have to find other things to do. Um, and I also think, I mean, it is also just acknowledging there are so many talented people out there, and there really are, and that doesn't take away from your talent, but it took me, it took me a little while to realise that it actually just enhances the whole... Field if everyone's good, um, and also the one thing I will say is a little bit of directing I've done helping directors is if if you can go behind a casting table at any point to read or to just observe, you just go oh my gosh like so often someone will come in and even if they're quote unquote better if they sing better if they dance more accurately or with more style, but they're not exactly what the director has in mind in their vision for the show it's not gonna go their way and that's i mean i i I have to remind myself that all the time because so often and look sometimes i do sometimes we all bomb sometimes i've gone to audition i'm like i just didn't i probably was more right for that than i came across as because i didn't even sing well you know for instance but there, most of the time it is not that you were crappy it's just that someone else fits the thing better and the thing with a capital T is very elusive, you know? Um, Yeah. So I would say that. And I think a lot of my friends who went to drama school with probably found that, um, found that out and, and for different reasons. And fair enough, like have since left the industry and gone into different things or gone into like parallel fields. But I think it's a certain thing that you kind of, even if you are told it, you kind of have to experience it first. So, which is why I kind of say all of this with, take all this advice with a big grain of salt because it's like I'm sure someone told me this and I didn't want to hear it
0: <laughs> exactly yeah it's yeah. um it's almost in a way easier to go through it yourself than just to blindly accept what someone else right. is telling you because you're yeah. always going to doubt it you're always going to be like no it's not going to happen uh, to me so uh... yeah
1: yeah and look it might not some of my friends it didn't happen to but then it kind of other it just looks different on different people you know
0: mm-hmm. yeah so what kind of risks do you think are worth taking professionally or sort of in this crazy life of being an actor? Mm.
1: Risks. Gosh. I mean, kind of every risk, I would say, like, that's a funny question. I've never, I think it's like, if something, especially if something comes across your path, like it's yeah. given to you like an audition or something, then definitely just go for it. Um, but in other terms of, other things, I think sometimes you do have to make a financial risk, I will say, like I think some of the opportunities I've have had come to me is because of I produced a production of John and Jen, where like I literally just wanted to put it on for myself to play John, um, and that I did that out of college. And like, there's no way to exactly connect the dots, but I'm sure that led to some jobs. And then I did a production of um, Elegies, where because I want to be in that show, so yeah. I produced it myself. Same thing. I don't know exactly how, but I'm confident that someone saw something in that. That then led to this, that then led to a conversation, that then led to blah 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 blah.
0: So being proactive, essentially.
1: I think that's a worthwhile risk, and sometimes you do have to. And look, I I say it because like, it's all very long to be creatively proactive, but you sometimes do have to like, work the extra shifts to make the extra money to produce your own show, yeah. and know that you might lose money. Yeah. You know, like, and yeah. that is a risk. That's a real risk. Not even, and it's not like an ethereal kind of risk. It's like. Okay, I might be worse off financially, but maybe this is a good thing to do. But you won't necessarily lose money either. It's not that you it's not that you're guaranteed to fail, it's just that there's a risk. But if you don't try producing your own shows, you're definitely not gonna be in your own shows. Yeah.
0: And it's giving yourself that power of choosing what you wanna do and kind of unleashing your <laughs> yeah. own creativity. So well, let's talk about creativity then. I, I know you write yeah. cabarets and you want prizes for them and stuff like that. So talk to me about those experiences and sort of creating your own magic, so to speak.
1: I love that. Um, you know, actually, I I haven't written music for a little while. I've kind of, um, I wrote a fair bit in, in college and then a couple of years after. And then I honestly, I didn't, and I did a bit of orchestrating for like for events and things but then i really fell in love with directing i think that's something i'm going to come back to i for me i enjoyed more um working on other people's new work than my own i enjoy being the author in the sense of like the big picture author in the way that a director is um that's not to say i might write again but i would say it's probably more for enjoyment i kind of feel like and also like i spent every single maths class in high school drawing sets in my, and like designing sets and costumes and stuff in my maths book. So I've kind of always looked at theatre as like a bigger picture thing and then I produced shows too. So it's, it's almost like I well, acting is a thing I do because it's like the most immediate thing and I think I'll keep doing it But and I really love it. Um, but I do think that like I definitely enjoy theatre on the whole more than I enjoy acting or being on stage.
0: That's a great perspective. So does being an actor influence the way you Mm. direct?
1: Uh, Yeah, oh, for sure. I think, actually, I think it, yes, but almost more interesting is the other way around. It's it's like the, once I started directing a little bit, I was like, oh, I get it when you get a note. Like, not that I was ever particularly bad at taking a note from a director, I don't think. Um, Like, I never had a problem with it, but I actually felt myself being like, It's really nothing personal. Like, you know, I've directed some of my good friends and little things, and, like, I have a a note to give them. I just hate that term anyway. It's such a yakky term now. Um, But, you know, you want to have a conversation with them at a moment. And it was never, like, because what you're doing is bad, therefore I'm going to do this. It's, like, I'm sitting out here, and like I said before, you can't act in a vacuum. And so it's, like, there is this collaboration back and forth. And so since I've done a little bit of directing, I've definitely found that people, um, that that, then when I've been acting and gotten notes as everyone does, I, I haven't feel felt at all sort of personally affronted by it because it never feels like a personal thing
0: anymore. Yeah, I love that. And do you, do you do anything special to kind of get into that creative mindset or does that come naturally to you to be creative?
1: Um, you know what I do think, and this is something that I had forgotten about, um, as this, that's what happens. Um, but I did this class recently with another great teacher in New York, Joan Rosenfels, and she came in and everyone had just been there. The class started at 10 and it was 10 and everyone was sitting down, sort of just sitting down. And she got really mad. And she's like, you know, and she got mad justifiably. I wouldn't say mad. It was more like you've got to – her point was basically you've got to give yourself some space for creative things to work. And I think that's something that's, I profuse there in any the, the long-running show when you're up to performance number 500 and something the temptation is just to come in exactly at the call time and kind of get to stage just before your entrance and look real talk some days that's what happens because it's like and i don't think it sh- i don't think it affects my performance on stage i don't think i'm doing any less good so coming back to your question i feel like the only thing i do is really give myself the space to be creative so i'll try and get to the theater with enough time that nothing's rushed i'll try and get to an audition in plenty of time before I actually have to walk in the room. I'll try to get to class 15 minutes before. And if that means I'm sitting on my... Seriously, I'd rather be sitting on Instagram for five minutes outside the classroom yeah. than, than rushing there on the train. Because at least then you're a little bit calm. It's not that you, For me, it's not that I have to be like doing a warm-up per se. It's just that I have to be present. And I will anyway. I'm not going to sit there just literally on Instagram. But if you're there you're going to be present. If you're not there, there's no hope for me. At least some people can, someone can just turn up. Yeah. But I feel like I have to give myself a bit of, um, a bit of time either side of it. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Makes sense. Um, actually sidetracking from, from the creativity questions, but you mentioned social media, which, which is something I had on my Mm. list as well. So do you think, you know, what are your thoughts on kind of being on social media and having a YouTube presence, having Mm. a website, do you think that's beneficial for a, for a young performer starting out?
1: You know what? I, I don't know. I actually, think the pendulum has swung so far in the direction of everyone thinks that's the way to do it. I don't think, it, I think what you need to do is make sure you don't have anything silly online, like any job, um, where an employer wouldn't want to hire you because you look ridiculous and drunk all the time. Um, I don't have a huge social media or online presence. Um I found it helpful sometimes, like when I was getting a new agent in New York, I found it kinda helpful. But I'm gonna you know what? I don't think if it's not for you, don't do it. I just think it's like one of those things where I think everyone thinks they're gonna be a YouTube star. And I I don't think it's gonna get you in a casting room in Chelsea because you have a certain amount of followers. I just don't. I feel like that I feel like that's gonna be wasted energy. I think you should be using your energy on getting better at the thing you do yeah
0: and it's still your talent that's gonna get you the job not your um your profile yeah and
1: and unless like for some people some gigs it will like let's be real some gigs if it's like something in the hollywood blah 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 blah. sometimes it comes out and it's like must be a name you know sure but i'm not talking about that i'm talking about like most actors most working actors
0: yeah yeah I've always wanted to know what it's like kind of being on the other side of that screen. So like, do you, let's say after a show, whatever, being on tour, so obviously people have seen you and recognized you, whatever, so mm-hmm. do you tend to get like a lot of messages and like how do you navigate that aspect of kind of getting feedback, um, if you will, from from people?
1: You know what, I, I don't actually look at my phone straight away after. If people write in that lovely things, that's nice. Um, and I'll try and interact with them, but I, maybe I should be better at it, but I kind of just don't want to put my energy into it that much. Um, I mean, that's not to say I don't really value people's time and I've done, I've been the other end of that too. Like I've definitely gone and like written things to who I've seen in things and been like, I love that. Um, but I don't, I try not to kind of put it on a pedestal too much because as soon as you do that, then you have to have it on the same pedestal if things aren't going well, you know? So I just don't see i don't, don't don't put much I've, I've actually contemplated going off instagram altogether several times i don't know you know because i'm just like eh. yeah i don't love it i love it for seeing my friends yeah um but i i maybe should use it more effectively but i kind of right now it's not really something i'm like looking to do
0: yeah and that's good yeah. it's all about you know having balance <laughs> So what are some of the things that you need to do every day to kind of feel like your best self and to be prepared for the day?
1: Well, not be sick, um, but that sometimes happens, Mm. as has happened to me here. I'm pretty – I, on the one hand, I feel like I'm quite easygoing, and then I see people who aren't actors, and I go, oh, no, I'm very high maintenance. Like I will – I'll basically always make sure – it's just a little bit – It's a little bit more tedious. You have to really make sure you're checked in with your body. Like, I'll work out most days, basically every day, except for when I'm sick, or if I feel like um, I'm pushing it too hard, then I won't. Like, in rehearsal, I'll barely work out because your body's just always sore, getting used to new choreography, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I will always make sure I, like, drink so much water so I'm hydrated, um, like, obscene amounts of water. And I'll try and eat pretty healthy. And, look, it's not that I, like it's just because for me there's no worse feeling and I like don't drink during the during the week um and for me this is no worse feeling than going out on stage feeling like oh I could have done that better like I really don't like that feeling so it's it's that's what it all goes towards that's what I'm trying to serve is it like and I have done it you know there's been performances honestly I can probably say not for years but when I first graduated there were definitely things where I I, I was probably not at my like nothing went wrong, but I've I've come off stage before being like, that was bad. Like that was not my best, and I, it's because I wasn't prepared for tonight's show, you know, yeah. because I had been lazy about X, Y, and Z. And look, I meditate every day. I mean, most think? I mean most days for sure. Um, and that's been a developing thing for me. But that's almost like that's been uh, not for my performing, not for my work, yeah. it's been for this life, but it definitely helps that too, you know, which is a, that's like the silver lining for it. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: Amazing. Um, so actually, how do you value success? Like, what does that mean to you Ooh, being successful?
1: That is a good question.
0: Um, look,
1: and it's really changing. I will say it's really changing now. Um, for me, the further, the closer I get to quote unquote, what I initially thought of as success, i.e. people who have won awards, who are um, very wealthy from um, the theatre, who, you know, are, are famous in some way.
0: Yeah.
1: The closer I get, the more I realise how different everyone's thing is. Yeah. And I know that's such a cliche, but it's the thing when you're a kid, you're like, well, I, I've got win in Tony Award. That's, that's what success looks like. For me now, I see people who have gone from, say, acting into casting and now they're really good at that or they've gone from acting into directing and they're like an associate director who is on a great show like *Mormon*, and they're really good at that i think it's like for me once you're in the industry success looks very different from when you're outside of it you know it's like in film like there's all these people who are behind the scenes and i'm it's the same in law like that's my family is in like all these people who aren't have no notoriety outside of their industry but they are very successful within the industry. So for me, for me, it looks like, like, I want to have a happy personal life, and I want to be working because I love the theater. Like I love it. But for me, success used to look like, you know, winning a Tony, blah blah. blah. And look, don't get me wrong, that'd be that'd be lovely. One but, day. One day. But now it's more like it's developed more into like, okay, maybe I want to be like. Um, maybe i want to be an artistic director of a theater or maybe i want to uh maybe i want to just direct or maybe i do want to keep acting and maybe success for me looks like having being a working actor for my working life you know um but it also contributes into like do you want to spend your life doing eight shows a week like that is a big thing um do you want to live in new york your whole life do you want to live in Sydney your whole life what about your family you know so I, that's a very roundabout way of answering. I think I'm struggling with that question myself at the moment in the sense of like my perception of what success is, is
0: yeah.
1: really in a state of shift now. So I actually don't have an answer for you, but I will say, I know it's changing from what it used to look like, but I'm not sure what it now looks like.
0: <laughs> no, that's a good answer. Cause it, thinking about it myself, like, I don't know what, like for me, what success would be like. Cause I, yeah. I thought and I think it changes as you mentioned every year. Cause like I thought when I grow up, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I'll move move abroad. That was my goal. So I did that. Yeah. Then I'll graduate yep. university. I'll be successful. Whatever, go in the industry. And I've done That's that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like you constantly have to create new goals.
1: Like, right. And then you have it. It's like what then? Yeah. Yeah. And look, it's it's just always that thing, which is why, which is one of the reasons I meditate as well, and I try and practice like a sense of like being happy now because, and that's not even just career success. That is life happiness. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. very elusive to think you'll be happy when it's a really dangerous mindset. And so, and look, I have a, you know, I have a doggy vision board with stuff on it. I, I have all those things, but I, I have them with like a big pinch of salt when I look at them sure. in terms of like, this is a helpful goal setting tool for me, but this will not dictate how successful and therefore happy I feel.
0: Oh, great. And let's say, what has been one of the kind of mem- most memorable things that you've learned from your years in the business, whether in Australia or America?
1: Yeah. I mean, I will say the biggest thing I think is, um, it really is about backing yourself. It's like every time I do something that feels authentically me, I see better results, put it that way. Like if if, if you could have a control in a study, Um, if we're getting like empirical data on this and it was like, you gave me 10 tasks and I do them once in a way that feels good, but not that great, a bit phony. And once in a way that feels completely authentically me, I guarantee the results from the one that feels like authentic will be better. Um, but that is really hard because you look at all these different people and you go, Oh, I want to be, I want to be Gavin Creel. Like obviously, but he didn't want to be Gavin Creel, you know? And, um, he, all those people like who you look up to when you're coming up in the industry, um, have, have carved their own path. And I think it's just, but for me, that's a constant reminder about being like, you know what, just do you, just do Eddie. And that also ties into like, but work really hard at it. That's, that's kind of the caveat that I think people don't discuss as much is like, yes, you are totally enough. I don't disagree with that at all but for me it's like I want to feel like as long as I give all of me which does require some work like as long as I um, have as long as I've really prepared this audition and I've and then I'm also being completely me then I'm then I'm good no matter the outcome but if I haven't completely prepared it but I still being completely me I'm not that happy with the outcome because I'm like I wasn't completely myself I was I showed them a part of me so it's kind of like you need you need to be you, but you also need to work on that a bit too. It's not as easy as just be like, just be you, just turn up and do your thing, which no one's really saying, but that's kind of like, it's also too long to put in a postcard. So
0: yeah. I love that. Yeah. But that's exactly true. And actually leading to my last question in, in that. So because you've had these experiences and because of what you said, being yourself and like the importance of that. So what would be one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Oof. Oof. Um,
1: I think it would be that it's going to work out better than you imagined. Honestly. Um, And, but not how you imagined. I think that's what I would say. I think I said at the start, like me moving here to the U S was like a departure for me. Like I could have stayed with Mormon there. I could still be doing it there. And, you know, I left not having a job. Um, And for me, that was really scary. But I also was like, I have to make that. Um, have to take that plunge at some point you know and I'm really happy I did but again it comes back to that's not how I envisaged it like at all but it all worked out kind of better than I would have imagined and you know of course I will forget this advice in 10 minutes but um it's nice to think about every now and then as well
0: so we've gone to the random section yeah anything that comes in mind so if I would know you for years now, what would be like an on-brand Eddie thing that I would know?
1: I am very particular about some things. I need to like sleep comfortably. Um, it's like that thing where you go to someone's house if they don't offer you like a towel and blankets. I'm not one of those people who can sleep in the couch. I'm not gonna sleep in the couch unless you fully made it up like a bed.
0: If you, you could good. travel anywhere in the world right now, where would you go?
1: I just got back from some Bart's before I started Mormon. In the Caribbean, and I would go back there in a heartbeat because it was heaven on earth. Favorite
0: yeah. theatre show that you've seen this year?
1: Can I have two?
0: Yes, go on.
1: Okay, I will say I love Tootsie because um, a good friend of mine is um, Lily Cooper, is in it, and she's amazing. And just seeing someone you know be like the lead actress in a huge Broadway show was exhilarating. And then also beetlejuice because i actually i loved the show and um i'm buddies with the um eddie perfect who wrote it who's australian and part of me like we're, we're definitely we're, we're mates but also just seeing him knowing him he went to my college he's he's big in australia you know but seeing him now have like this great show that's he wrote which is really good um that just got... I just was so happy. And I really enjoyed it anyway, but also knowing it was him doing all that made me oh. super happy. Oh if you
0: could do one gender-bent role, what would it be? Oh, oh, that's good.
1: Any of the women in Little, Little Night Music. Like, I can't okay. think which one. Okay,
0: interesting choice. Yeah, Any I just reasons? love
1: that show, and I love the women in that show especially.
0: Okay, podcast recommendation.
1: You're Wrong About is fantastic. Um, They debunk like all these things I Listen to on Homelessness. Um, there was a great one about Jeffrey Dahmer. There was a great one about um, The Satanic Panic. It's a fantastic... Um, they're like our own quite deep dive investigative journalist kind of thing.
0: Book recommendation.
1: Educated by Tara Westover. It was um, actually about a girl who grew up... Well, Fundamentals, Saturday Saints, um, which is like a, a offshoot of Mormonism. Um, I didn't read it to do with the show, but just that's an interesting bit of... Um, Cross sectionality. I don't want to give too much away, but it is the most miraculous true story about. I mean, talk about fighting adversity. It is yeah, educated, amazing book. Got it.
0: Okay. Last TV show you binge watched?
1: Killing Eve. So good. So good.
0: I know it's incredible. Are you up to date?
1: Yes. Although no, have they released season two? I've I've seen all of season one.
0: Oh oh my god! Yes yes, season two. I don't
1: think it's on Hulu yet, though. That's how I watch it, and I I don't think it's. Because we so have it I'm on BBC, it. that's
0: why, yeah, okay. Right, right, right. I think it's on BBC America though, I don't, I don't know how you get oh, that. Oh, okay,
1: You're yeah. probably right, I'll check that out.
0: Yeah. When people come to you for help, what would they usually want help with? Oh. Um, What's your super skill?
1: Playing piano for people. <laughs> like, um, here not so much because um, people don't know this about me here, but back home, if, you know, if I was doing a show at the time and something else was auditioning, I'd be like booked up playing and I love it. I loved it. But putting down tracks for people, helping them learn audition material, picking audition songs, um, that kind of thing. I think that's what I, that's what it would come to me for.
0: Okay. Final question. The most important of all, if you had to summarize your life so far in a one or two sentence, honest playbill bio, what would it be?
1: Are we talking about a New York playbill?
0: Yes. Yeah. Let's Let's go go with with it. Yeah. Okay.
1: Let's say, let's go with that. Let's say, Somehow wound up in New York, fully planned on it, but didn't go according to plan.
0: Brilliant. That's good. Very intriguing. Well, that was it. Thank you so, so much for sitting
1: with me.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening. I really do appreciate that. And if you did enjoy this episode, please consider giving it a rating and a review because that's actually going to help me get more people on the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week and I'll talk to you again next Monday. Bye.